Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Want to Game Season 2. I am your host, Alexander Eden, and joining me as always is my delightfully devilish friend, Jonathan Wilder. Yeah, you're right. Uh, we kind of snuck Season 2 in there. That's uh, true. Stealth drop. Technically, we did start Season 2 with our Call of Duty adventure, but this is sure. our first real classic Want to Game discussion episode, and I'm real excited about it. Yeah, this is a fun one. Mm-hmm. The last big discussion we had was about the game store experience. What it's like to actually go shopping for a game, board uh, game reviewing, like, uh, you know, brick and mortar, digital, mom and pop, big retail. And this episode, our little discussion to die, to die, to die, uh, <laughs> is... You're just slowly becoming more British as the show goes on. Uh is about game stores, in a sense, or at least begins with game stores. I want to talk about GameStop, but not just GameStop. I want to talk about GameStop and its tragic, inevitable death. Not, not a story a podcaster would tell you. I know, I know. Now, here's the thing, here's the thing. I, for all its faults, I do like GameStop. I like going to the big old store. I like seeing, you know, what what new things are sale, getting a used game or whatever deal's going on. I like getting my power-up rewards points. I like all that stuff. But the thing is that not many people will agree with me. A lot of signs are pointing to grim uh, titans for them. Uh, you go over to our group You go over to, to our good friends at Barron's who talk about GameStop stock tumbling down, just getting uh, sales getting slower and slower. And the actual price, I think last time I checked, like the stock is about like four bucks right now, maybe five bucks. That's rough. It's not great. Uh, they've, they've had trouble even uh, selling themselves to a larger company right now, uh, which, you know, for... Usually what's considered a, a dangerous gamble for a lot of businesses, like, oh, is our parent company going to take care of us? Are they going to liquidate us? To just have no one interested in buying their company, very bad, also caused some stocks to go down. And there's just a lot pointing to GameStop not doing so hot. Yeah, I think the latest news was that they announced that they're closing hundreds of stores yes, yes. to try to stay afloat. But that might not even be the, the last of these closures. Uh-huh, and that really freaks me out. Because the thing is, I was just at GameStop, like, a week ago. Yeah, this is a real coincidence, Alex. I was also at GameStop within this last week. That's amazing. What what games did you pick up? Or game, or what? Yeah, so I just picked up one game. I mm-hmm. uh, Now, let me just give the context. That I was just kind of, like, walking down the street, spotted a GameStop with my friend, mm-hmm. and... Went in. Oh, so this was not like a planned uh, trip to GameStop. You found a GameStop in the wild. I think the GameStop found me. If oh anything. boy! Yeah, it was very spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, so I was browsing around, and it was nice actually to look at their section with games coming out soon because they 
kind of jogged my memory of like, oh, I'm excited about that game. I'm excited about that game. Like a lot of the games that we talked about on our E3 episode, mm-hmm. I was like, oh yeah, these are actually now coming out. They're soon. coming. They exist. Um, so I kind of just browsed that area for a little bit, looked at the kind of newer popular games, but I was like, I don't want to spend sixty dollars mm-hmm. today. But then I was looking at the pre-owned games, and I don't know, maybe my memory is faulty, but I don't remember the deals being this good with their pre-owned <laughs> games. Like, I feel like, you know, the classic meme about GameStop is like, you would bring in your pre-owned game, they said like, okay, here's five bucks, and then they slap a $60, you know, uh-huh. price tag on mm-hmm. it. Um, but I actually ended up finding Shadow of War. Yes. Um, for like six bucks nice yeah, six seven bucks yeah. uh and that's including like the kind of warranty where like if it gets like scratch up or if it stops working like bring it back and bring it back mm-hmm. um which is great because like it, that's one of those games that like i really enjoyed the first one mm-hmm. and i heard that people were kind of mixed on the second one so i wasn't sure if i was going to buy it but as soon as i saw it for like that good that of a price, price yeah it was perfect and here's the thing i think you know it comes down it's a supply versus demand thing i think gamestop knows they have to know like how much are people willing to pay for a game at a certain time of course when i was at gamestop about a week back i was able my my store was having a very special deal that was like hey you pick up about three games that are each under i think 15 bucks or something along those lines and we'll sell it all to you for like $25. Twenty-five dollars. That's great. Yeah. You so, know? did you go there knowing about that deal, or you I just happened just, upon? Basically, I was I was back home, back in the old town, and I was like, "Oh man, the old GameStop that I used yeah. to go to as a kid." You know, I like to pick up a few things. I have a bunch of gift cards lying around. I'm a I'm a gift card. Fiend. I just, oh yeah, I, just, I used to, that's that's how I got my PlayStation Four, Alex. Mm-hmm. I just saved up GameStop gift like yeah. multiple birthdays. Like I just said, eh, give me a GameStop yeah, gift exactly. card. Exactly. So I had a gift card. I was like, you know what? I feel a little bad. They need all the money they can get, and they've already <laughs> given me this money. So it's like whatever. Yeah. But I picked up three games. Technically, technically, I picked up eight games because one of those games was Mega Man Legacy Collection oh. or PlayStation 4. So, like, the, the Mega Man, the, like, old NES classics, Mega Man's 1 through 6. I've already mm. beaten 1 and 2. Man, those games are hard. What different era. A real different time. But I've been enjoying that. I recently beat the second game that I picked up there, which was uh, The Technomancer. Yeah, Which, I remember you mentioning this mm-hmm. off air. It is it is a very mixed bag game. It is one of those few cases where I can say I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. I cannot recommend it. But <laughs> okay. they recently that company Spiders they released their newer uh, their newest RPG called a Greedfall, which apparently is getting a pretty good amount of praise. Like not the best thing out there, but like a lot of people are really liking it. So maybe I'll give another one of their games a shot later. And then I picked up uh, Prey Twenty, I think what was Twenty Seventeen, Twenty Eighteen, the the new Bethesda reboot of the Prey series. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, sci- horror stuff it doesn't have the cool native american ghosts fighting aliens plot line of the original prey but hey this one's good too but enough of us talking about games we picked up i want to talk about 
the fact that we found GameStop on a whim. It was just like a, a nice little, ooh, this could be fun thing. I have a feeling we're probably not going to be back at GameStop for a little bit after this. We've picked up our games, you know, and there's a million other ways to play games right now. There's a million other ways to pay for games that's right it. now. And that's what this episode is really about. I want to go a rundown of all of the options we have right now, all of the platforms, all of the storefronts, all of the different distribution methods that exist that are changing, you know, the old brick and mortar style. And really, I want to know, is this a future we like, the ways we're heading? Is this how we want to own our games? And I say the term owned very loosely with some of these but without further delay let's dive right in let's see what happens sure i, I think the part that i kind of find fascinating about all mm -hmm. this is just like you know with our kind of age demographic i think that we kind of experienced you know more than many gamers like this kind of shift mm -hmm. where you know when we were younger it very much was Oh, multiplayer? Yeah, you're mostly, you know, playing split You screen. sit on the couch, you play with your buddies. Mm -hmm. And going from that to, you know, pretty much almost exclusively online multiplayer yeah. now. And now, yeah, the way that we're getting games are, you know, very digitally based. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm not going to complain a lot about it. I think, for me, convenience is always a big plus. For sure. And I know some is lost, and, you know, we talked a lot about, like, the experience that you get with the game store, you know, at the end of last season. And there is something to say about that. But at the end of the day, if I just want to pick up a new game, mm -hmm. then I'm going to go with the easiest method. Yeah. I think it's as simple as that. That's true. That's true. And with digital, you know, whatever storefront you do choose to go on it, be it Steam or PlayStation or Xbox or whatever, it's right there. All you have to do is wait for the download to go in and it's on your machine. You didn't have to go to the store. You didn't have to wait for Amazon to deliver it or whatever. It's right there. But the thing is, you bring up a very important point here, which is convenience. And when it comes to convenience, it's not just about it's not just about time. It's not just about how fast I'm gonna get it or, you know, if I have to go anywhere. It's about how much I'm paying for it. Now here's the thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will look at a sixty dollar price tag for a game, especially nowadays with a lot of AAA companies having their sixty dollar price tag and then their microtransactions and their DLC and their season pass. And, and it should be noted that with a lot of games and a lot of the games that have caused controversy in the sense, mm -hmm. it's because the DLC, and I say this in heavy quotes, is really just aspects of the actual game mm -hmm. that they're just cut out. out exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and to be fair, there's an argument to be made that the reason companies do this is because the price of making games is going up so much. Yeah, However, I find it hard to sympathize with a lot of these companies when you do realize how much money, like fist over, nickels, whatever the term is, they make with some of these sales, you know? And it brings up the fact that 
a lot of people, they aren't going to pay that $60 price tag. They're going to wait. They are going to try to pick, play it with a buddy, maybe if the multiplayer, get it together. They are going to find a deep sale or see if there's another company selling it there. If they're of the less moral, uh, uh, less legal persuasion, they will pirate it. They will find other ways to get it. But I want to talk about a way that I've been using recently, a way that I really like, though I also find very questionable. The Xbox Game Pass. Yeah. And I know you've explained it before to me, but I, I don't have um, the new Xbox. So for me, I'm just used to PlayStation Plus. So how mm -hmm. does Game Pass Yeah, so how Game Pass works. And, and I think it, it, it's both genius and wild. And will it work? I'm not sure. But basically, Microsoft said, hey, guys, if you give us like a dollar, one dollar, you for you for three months you can use our game pass which is the closest we had got right now to netflix for games it is basically okay, a large ever-expanding library of of various titles from indie games to larger thing games uh triple a and such and you can just download whatever game you want and you can play it and it's yours and if when you stop paying for the service you can no longer access those games, which may be controversial. I'd love to discuss that. But for the initial asking price of only a dollar, and then it's about, I believe, 10 or $15 a month to keep it up, that's actually real good, especially for someone like me who has a lot of old Xbox gift cards I just upload onto there to keep it going. As someone who does play a lot of games, as someone who doesn't who is now playing the latest Gears of War game for basically free in a sense. It's a real good deal. Here's my slightly cynical take on this. Mm -hmm. Um I feel like this very easily could be them trying to hook people onto the platform and then you know price skyrockets oh absolutely absolutely which is one of the risks it's one of the things it's a really fun deal for now but just wait until that price goes up just wait until they find ways to nickel and dime you know it's it's what's or find out when other companies are start doing similar things we're already seeing this in tv with so many streaming services it's I a know. bit risky it's dangerous and i hope we don't get to that point especially with you know different for example like playstation has their exclusives xbox has their exclusives mm -hmm. i hope we don't get to the point where it is kind of like streaming services where like all of these different games are being pulled off of like certain consoles, mm -hmm. pulled off of PC or yeah. pulled off of console. Like I, I, I worry. It's I it. I mean, that's what's going on with like the Epic Game Store versus yeah, that's, Steam. That's a great uh, yeah. comparison. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, despite its worries, despite the issues of like, do I actually own this game? Like nothing is like physical where you actually own your disc and it is yours and you can give it to whoever you want. When you as convenient as digital is, there's always a risk of a server might disappear or your machine might get wiped and then that thing is gone. Yeah. And especially with Game Pass or what happens if the far off future, who knows what happens, Microsoft says, yes, our Game Pass is done. No more games for you. I'm taking this away now. That's a bit risky, a bit worrying. Yeah. And to mm -hmm. the point that you just brought up, um, I kind of personally heard about PlayStation Plus where there were quite a few games that I recently got mm -hmm. from there 
And then uh, there was some sort of issue with the renewal of my, you know, PlayStation Plus account. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, you know, try to load up the Witness. That's a no-go. Yeah. Try to load up this game. And like like, that. All of a I can't access them. I'd like to dive into that. Because for someone who, for, you know, Game Pass is only one thing. But for a lot longer now, there's been for playstation and xbox you know xbox live and ps plus which Mm -hmm. is yeah you're you're paying for online technically that is what you're paying for you are paying to play the games you like online which for a while a lot of people did not like because it's like i can play on my pc for free more or less online it's ridiculous you're making me pay for this but uh, sony and microsoft they sweetened the deal okay fine now you get free games every month that you are subscribed here oh and deeper discounts on other games as you're subscribed here and let's be blunt here if you buy a ps4 or an xbox uh and even a nintendo switch they're doing their thing where it's not like modern games that you can play like old nes games and stuff if you just buy the console and then you get that online service and you're only paying for that you can get a lot of games out of it for free. You know, I have a lot of things downloaded on my machine. But like you said, the moment you stop paying, eh, gonzo, can't play that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, you could say, all right, I'm going to stop playing. And if I just want to play them again, I'll pay for a month. It's not going to cost me that much. But at the same time, to have that kind of locked gate on your games, that's kind of annoying. It yeah. really is. And, again, that's where the streaming analogy works really well because, you know, that's the kind of difference you have between, like, if you're watching, you know, a show or you want to watch a movie on Netflix versus just owning it as a DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, that that brings up the kind of major con of digital distribution. Yeah. I mean, game preservation as, an, as like, an art form, as a movement, is already, like, a tough thing to do. You know, there's a lot of people who care about, like, keeping the history of video games alive, which I think is a very noble goal. However, it can be very tough when companies control all these things, and they're just like, yeah, sorry, this is pulled off, you can't have this anymore. And, like, the only way you can really do it is with through emulation or some shadier practices you know it can be very tricky and the more we go digital as convenient as that is the riskier that can be sure uh i like to move the discussion to something else here Uh, another way that companies are trying to dive into dive into the gaming market uh uh, apple apple which is not a gaming company long term you how dare you that's it all gaming apps are stupid no that's not true there's plenty of people who love to get gaming time in through the app store there's a lot of good games through apps even if a lot of them are also you know shovelware type stuff but that's the thing apple knows a lot of people think that a lot of people look at the app store and despite how much money it makes despite how popular it is they look down on it and they say that's not real gaming that's not where real video games go and apple says "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh that's not the case anymore because we have apple arcade which Forgive me if my sort of explanation is a bit, you know, not accurate, but it's more or less a similar thing to the Game Pass. You pay a certain fee a month, and then 
on your phone, on your iOS device, you just have a large swath of, of quality controlled games of various types, you know, some bigger stuff, some still smaller, what you expect on a phone, but just higher quality, and they're curating it for you. Which, for someone who isn't a huge gamer, but wants to get into it, and they don't want to pay for a console or build their own PC or things like that, it's not a terrible Not idea. a bad thing, not a bad thing at all. But do I trust Apple with my games right now? They're not the best when it comes to how they handle their phones, overcharging with, you know, the latest phones, only minor tweaks, and, you know, all of the rumors of, you know, planned obsolescence about, you know, their other phones breaking apart, so you have to buy a new one. You know, obviously, you know, that doom saying right now, Game, it's just like Game Pass. It's just like, a, oh, this is just another way for me, to, for, for me to play a lot of fun new games. But what happens once you're in there? What happens when they raise the price? What happens when uh, uh, Android starts to do similar things? Only time can tell. Yeah. Here, here's really the essential question, Alex. Mm -hmm. We know that the models from which we buy games are changing. That's mm -hmm. just inevitable. So what do we want to see? Like, are we okay with, you know, still, even through digital distribution, sticking to that $60 model, mm -hmm. sticking to, you know, maybe even, like, pushing companies to allow, like, despite it being, you know, a digitally downloaded game to be, mm -hmm. like, very much yours, like, even through something like PlayStation yeah. Pass, like, could that be negotiated? I mean, I mean, that's the big question at the end of all of this is... What what do we want? How do we want to buy our games? And the answer, it's complicated. I don't have like a proper be-all and all answer because it depends on so many different things, not just for you and I, but for the listeners, for anyone else who... I mean, it comes down to so many different factors. Uh, finances, uh, the types of games you're playing, how many games you're playing, uh, and what consoles, what systems, PC, you know, phone. There's so many different things and so many different systems. So it's tough. But the kind of answer I've been coming to myself is this. Even though I do like Game Pass, even though I do love the idea of, like, the subscription service, even though I'm also a fan of the occasional free-to-play game, I want a game that I can still own. Right. Even it, whether it's physical or just digital, but it's on my hard drive and no one is going to take that away from me, I want to be able to say, oh, this game is mine. And I feel like the only way to properly make that happen is if you pay for the game directly. You have to be the one to put the money down, like the one-time purchase at least, not counting DLC or whatever. You buy it, and it's yours. But the thing is, I don't think the $60 thing is going to work. Some people are saying, hey, with the rising cost of game development, it's got to go up higher. To me, I, I don't think it's going to work. I think it's going to push more people away from gaming. I think the answer comes down to, honestly, what indie games seem to be doing, or smaller budget titles I'm seeing from larger publishers, which is people are starting to realize that there's certain expectations for certain genres, for certain types of games, for certain budgets, mm -hmm. where it's like, hey, people on this console playing this game will like to pay $15 if it's like a small indie game or or maybe 30 to 40 if it's more a more budget title but has some money going into it more than just independent 
And to me, I feel like exploring that route honestly might be the best bet because when it comes down to it, economics discussion here, if you have something which in your mind is like, this isn't worth $10, it's worth so much more than $10 or whatever, but you know that's what people like for it and that feels like a reasonable price to them, you can still make a ton of money just by making it a little bit lower than that 60 or a little bit, you know, just changing it, knowing your market. Uh, recently, I was hearing about some indie developers on Nintendo's uh, Switch shop or whatever they call it, mm -hmm. who will have incredibly deep sales where it's like, oh, this game that I made, like a dollar for a day, just go buy it. And it's like, how are you making money that way? Well... People talk about it. Oh my god, this game's only a dollar. I have to get it. Now, obviously, I'm not saying, hey, developers, publishers, basically give away your games for free. But I think knowing what people expect, the weird kind of silent rules we develop for ourselves as like a gaming community and playing by those rules can really help people. But, but that's just my kind of personal take on it. No, that, that's very mm. fair, Alex. And I think, obviously, this is not an economics podcast. Not We're not going to break down the numbers for you. But I think we can probably both agree that we want games to be accessible. And, mm -hmm. you know, if they're all split up and if you can potentially lose access to your games, if you're not subscribed to, you know, PS Plus or Game Pass or whatever it is, then they're not accessible. And whatever that means, whether it means, you know, going back to old models or if it means, you know, playing around with pricing, I don't really care as long as I can play the games. I That's play. true. That's true. And, and I mean, it doesn't have to be that big of a change. I think you can still have your $60 on release things for your big budgets. I think if you have to, you can have your DLCs. Try to keep the microtransactions out if you can, but you can still do those things. But just being more willing to say, okay, this is $40 now. We're going to go deeper on this. Or, I don't know, even specific deals. Maybe I would love something where it's like Game Pass, where you can play it for practically free, but then, hey, you played the game, you clearly liked it, buy it at a discount now, so you actually own the game, so it won't go away. Yeah, I'll or like, buy it for a friend. Buy it for a friend, something like that. Mm -hmm. I think playing with these systems, you know, could be, could be the answer. You know, at least in some small part. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So with that, I think the last order of business, Alex, mm -hmm. is to talk about a little game of Call of Cthulhu. Call of playing. Cthulhu, a game that you can buy at Chaosium? Are those the guys who sell yep, it? Yep, Chaosium. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played a game of Call of Cthulhu on our last episode. And for all of those who've listened, it was maybe a little less spooky and a little more kooky with some of the bizarre things. But that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about playing this first, you know, broadcasted game of Call of Cthulhu. How do we think the broadcast went? Uh, what do we think about the game? And what do we think can be improved or changed or whatever? And without, without further delay, let's dive right into it. Yeah, so what was your first impression? Because if I remember correctly, you have... Some experience. I have playing. some experience with Call of Cthulhu. A little bit of experience. I've played similar games with the focus on 
tabletop horror, be it Ten Candles or right. Mothership or things like that. And the thing is, obviously Call of Cthulhu is like one of the biggest games when it comes to spooky role-playing. So I had some expectations. But honestly, Call of Cthulhu in a lot of ways surprised me and made me, I don't know, for lack of better words, understand it in ways I didn't realize I would before. Okay, could you expand on that? All right, so basically, Call of Cthulhu sets itself apart from something like Dungeons and Dragons in the sense that your character is not meant to be the action hero, unless you're playing like Pulp Cthulhu or a specific like game design for that. Right. In a normal game of Call of Cthulhu, you are just a normal guy or gal who is getting caught up in otherworldly scenarios and you may not be the best person cut out for this yeah, you, you can be placed in serious peril serious peril and like not survive the fight or not know how to get out of the situation or even if you do it's going to be really tough and I, I knew this going in i knew this like okay this is going to be a little bit tougher but from a pure mechanical standpoint the way that they do that really worked for me in a very goofy way which was the the dice system their percentile dice and the way that there are so many different skills that are split up and each of them has their own percentile you have to get under and things like that it weirdly works compared to something like D&D in terms of making you feel weaker because more often than not, unless you really have a lot of points in a certain skill, you are going to roll higher. You are going to fail. Even when I was designing my character, I tried to do a intellectual type, but someone who's a jack of all trades in a lot of ways. So I was like, okay, if the max is a hundred and the least one and the lowest you can go is one, I'll have a lot of fifties. Well, a lot of fifties just means a lot of hat like basically a lot of rules just being a flip of a coin i might win or i might fail and that really stuck with me this idea that especially starting out even if you think you have a lot of skills even think you've designed this character really well there's a good chance you're still gonna fail and the only way you're really going to improve is a lot of trial and error hopefully surviving each of your sessions to level up your skills a little bit it is a system that does something that i think a lot of great games do which is they get a mood across purely through mechanics which is very excellent yeah it's a brilliant game in that respect. Mm -hmm. It really does set a mood in terms of mm -hmm. the game and its story and especially the adventure modules that it's, it lays out for you, one of which we played. But I, I agree. I really like the system. I like the idea that, you know, unless your character is a fast talker, you're going to only have a 5% chance of, you know, mm -hmm. actually convincing someone conning them that sort of thing yeah and it, w one thing that i really appreciate as you know a game master too is the fact that because you had all of your skills uh, percentages on your sheet mm -hmm. and i you know obviously told you like whether you needed like a hard extreme whatever sort of success 
you just got to deal with roles. I didn't have to, you know, set a difficulty class or anything like that. And that was kind of freeing for me because then mm-hmm. I could focus on other aspects of the definitely, game. Definitely, definitely. And I do admit I was saying a lot of, oh, well, I rolled this, so really I win or fail. But yeah, I can definitely see once you really get into it, it's all on the player to just be like, did I win? No, I didn't. I messed this one up. Or no, I succeeded. That's great. Check that off. Uh, something else I really liked is with a game like D&D, you can be the book smart guy. You can be the person who does the non-combat things. But just with how skills are distributed, what's kind of encouraged mechanically and narratively, those are side things, more or less. At the end of the day, you're probably going to get into some fights. A big thing is definitely fighting the monsters, getting a lot of skills to fight monsters, maybe solving a few puzzles with a couple of spells, but, you know, combat is a big thing. With Call of Cthulhu, yes, combat is a thing. You can get into fights. But more often than not, I was heavily encouraged to be like, no, just look around for things. Do, go to the library with your library skill parts, and way. do research. Oh, use your fast talking or whatever your talking skills might be to convince this person. Hey, did you find a weird obscure way to use the Latin skill you gave yourself? I never did, but if it did come up, I don't know. It's a game that, to, to a bit of an excess, gives you all of these random skills to do, but because of that, it encourages you to look for those opportunities. And because everything is almost treated equally in that sense, like fighting is handled the same way that going to the library would, outside of like damage and things like that, it encourages you to be like, yeah, all of these strategies you can find are viable, which I think is very freeing, especially, I assume, if you have like a party with you, a group of people who each has their own little specialization, you can all play your part to solve the mystery and save the day. And that's actually something I want to get into as far as party because one thing that I did prior to running it for you for the podcast was I did a kind of trial run with mm-hmm. our friends, uh, Andrew and Melissa. And I really like the idea, you know, if we're up for it, to do more of a kind of campaign. And what I like about Call of Cthulhu 2 is that it, do- it isn't like as rigid as far as like from what I've researched about it. With D&D, where, like, D&D, yeah, you can do one-shots, but it's definitely more designed for, like, long-form campaigns. Mm -hmm. But for this, like, there's a good chance you die in any given session. So, I just love the fact that, like, we are able to do, like, you know, a two-hour max uh, certain session. Maybe even less if there's less bumbling next time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, bring in more of a party. Mm -hmm. You know, bring in the society for exploration of the unexplained, as they call it. In fact, building off of that, should the listeners be interested or should we just find it a fun thing to do, I think that would be a lot of fun to bring back some more Call of Cthulhu sessions, especially during this spooky month of October yes, now coming is the up. Uh, because looking at like what could have been improved, as much fun as it was to play uh, Professor Clancy, you know, 
A lot of times, I was stumped. I didn't know what to do. So I had to guess and try to follow my leads. And I think it went well enough, but to have multiple people to not only banter with and goof around with, but to have more ideas, to have more people around. I think it can make not only a much more interesting, you know, game next time, but a much more interesting podcast to listen to for everyone at home. Right. And even for the skill roles, it's more likely that you're going to succeed when you have more people exactly for one day i'm gonna succeed those climbing roles <laughs> yeah that's really the bane of professor clancy's mm-hmm. existence uh, that was a good just, running bit even though it wasn't even necessarily intended to be a bit one of my favorite things when i was creating this character distributing points is because i had not fully realized just how important percentile is just how likely it is to fail if you don't have like a higher thing I looked down, I said, oh, climbing, you know, let's set that at 25, you know, basically a one in four chance that I'll succeed in any climbing. And my thing was like, oh, maybe, maybe Professor Clancy does some rock climbing in his off times. Maybe that will just be like a little thing he does. So then to then have it play out and be like, no, you're terrible at this was so funny. And even if tonally... You know, Call of Duty is, is like a spooky game. The fact is, not every adventure has to be spooky. They can be weird and fun. There was no real bad guy in this adventure. It turned out it was just a guy who wanted some books, you know? And that's very much mm-hmm. to the design of the module. Like, if I wanted to, I could have leaned a bit more into the creepy aspects of it. But the first, you know, module was supposed to be just like very contained very light yeah. to kind of ease you into it and you know we'll we'll get to the madness it also all. for sure just ties into the themes of the unknown the unknown because it's when you really think about it from like a fiction standpoint oh a ghoul like a guy with some animal legs that's not too bad but when i was getting really into character with clancy and that's the first thing he sees even if, like, on a cosmic scale, that's not too crazy, like an animal monster man of sorts, for a normal guy, that would be terrifying. What am I looking at? Are there more of them? What else is out there? Yeah. Which is the kind of end point we reached. Mm-hmm. And I also just like the emotional beat that the module kind of sets up. Where you have that choice of, are you going to talk to Thomas Kimball about what happened to his uncle? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's, you know, a part of, you know, being this sort of investigator that's easy to dismiss is the whole aspect of, it's not just concerning you. Your, you know, your story is interweaving with other people's lives. And in this case... It wasn't just about you solving a mystery. It had stakes in that, you know, Thomas cared. Mm-hmm. For sure. With that, I think we can start to bring this episode to a close. Final words. Whether you play your games $60 right at GameStop or digitally download a discount or get yourself your free games every month, or just play your free-to-play game and, you know, try to make the most of it. We want gaming to be a bigger thing. We want it to be as accessible as possible. So whatever works for you, it works for you. And I hope that no matter what, you have a good night, 
and good game.